Danny, I have something that I want to discuss with you this week. That's funny, because I have something that I would like to start the podcast off with. So how... This is rare that we're both jumping and raring to go out of the gate. How do we decide? How do we settle this? How do we decide? Uh, uh, well, you know, we could, you know, you know, there's probably like 10 rules that we could follow. Right. I was going to go with Rochambeau. <laughs> Rochambeau. Right. We could ask our dingus. Is there's probably a dingus in the room yeah. that we could ask. Dingus? Wait. Is... Do you have a, an echo in the room a, or, a, or a Google in the room? No, dude, I, that's that. So now you're, you know, I was going to say no to that just so that you would get to go because then now I obviously lose by disqualification. Boom. Disqualified. <laughs> get out of here. You know what I have in my office? What do you have in your office? I have a, I have an, an herbal sense like mister that you can put. Um, my wife got it. Actually, no, one of my former students got it for me. She's a total sweetheart. And then my wife has been getting me, um, like essences let me show you. i got i got lavender here i got peppermint i got relax so what it is is it's it's like an aroma scent thing like mm -hmm. when you go in and you get your yourself a sensual massage right you go in and you're like let me lie down here and get a sensual massage um like when you do that there's always some sort of lovely scent that you can't quite place and you spend your whole life trying to smell that scent to get back to that perfect massage I, I have a million scents in my office, so when people see me on a chess show, know that I'm probably breathing in some form of heavenly peppermint lavender. Is this like when you're flying, soaring over California, which I know is not currently what it is anymore, but if you're soaring over California, the scents, it's kind of like you're constantly soaring and then there's a mist of orange and pine. Just Oh, dude, mm. I love that part of Disneyland this time, it was, but it's soaring over the world now, right? I told you about that. Yeah, I love that. Like They hit you in the face with a cold breeze and a smell of sense when you're flying over the Taj Mahal. Oh my goodness. Um, anyway, no, so I'm going to let you go. You win the dingus battle, but now you know on the right corner of my desk is a, is a center, a Mr. Fire. Um, and uh, I'm going to try to remember all the awesome things I had to talk about whilst also letting you go first. <laughs> well, now so. every week I'm going to ask you what's the scent of the week so we can kind of, <laughs> right. what is the scent of the The lavender is really strong, by the way. I, if somebody who has a Mr. out there, these aromatherapy kind of things like in a small room, which is my studio here, because all the soundproofing and lighting, all the people know I live in, I basically live in a closet. I've been waiting my whole life to come out of the closet, and someday I may come out of the closet. Um, but the closet I currently live in for my chess recordings, if you use lavender in a small room, like, you better be ready for, like, like it almost itched my skin. It's really intense. It's just all, it's, it's all encompassing. It's just like, hey, do you like lavender? Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're going to love yeah. lavender. Yeah, you right. can't get away from it. <laughs> right. It's when you, it's like when you get into, like, an Uber and you're like, oh, man, they used not one but 18 pine car fresheners. Like, that is <laughs> unnecessary. They're, we're in t 10 square feet of a vehicle. That's completely unnecessary. Right. Oh, my goodness. All right. Well, I have something for you because you are a father. You're a father, correct? Yes, indeed. And your children are in school. Only one of them really looks like me, but continue. And yeah. you have at least one or 18 children. And, <laughs> and they're in school or some of them are going to be in school soon. And today was something that happened really cool on the Internet because Apple had a big... Uh, keynote that they did not stream at all and and we had discussed this on merge conflict already but i wanted to get this okay. different perspective because it was called um ipad and education it was like uh, apple coming into the school and they're releasing low budget ipads specifically for teachers and students and they have this classroom and you can they've kind of gamified teaching and gamified classrooms where you can essentially assign homework that the teachers can assign homework and they get reports back and children can log into the iPad. And what I wanted to do is I wanted to actually get your thoughts on technology inside of the classroom. I don't know if your kids have laptops or if they have iPads or what that scenario is. I have no idea. I'm I, we try to discuss it and I go, you know, I'm not really a father and I can look at my niece who has a Chromebook and she seems to really like that. And she's only dropped it a thousand times, and, right. but uh, it's durable. So I wanted to get your opinion well, on that. First of all, this is amazing because you just said iPad and education in the same sentence. So those two things are no longer an oxymoron, at least as far as affordability are concerned. Um, you know, a big... A, a big, I, I, my, my brain goes to the business aspect of this, even though, okay, there's the philanthropic aspects of clearly, you know, I think if we help the future generations be smarter than we are, we make the world a better place. But I think that Apple, 
recognizes that the market of you know, the market for Android and Google, because, you know, frankly, the Nexus and all the and the Samsung galaxies and all these tablets are just more affordable. Mm -hmm. And uh, the kids, therefore, are educated to interface with the Android software um, more often than they do with Apple. So I think from a business perspective, let's 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 call it what it really is. This is a smart business move. That's all that Apple cares about is the bottom line. And they are trying to affect future generations to know that and use their products. Sorry, Apple. If any Apple exec wants to come on our podcast and argue with me, that'd be great. Um, but moving on, I think it's great because we have iPads at home uh, and we have a Nexus. I actually have a whole bunch of devices, unfortunately, because there was a period at chess.com where I was like literally doing QA all the time. So I had one of those. I did that that sweet, sexy Logitech keyboard, which I bought mm -hmm. for Luke, by the way, for one of his birthdays. I know this always becomes a Danny stream of consciousness ramble, but you know that Logitech keyboard? You can press a button. It switches from device to device, yes. like Mac, PC. Mm -hmm. That thing's awesome. So I... So I was doing a lot of QA. So we got we got all kinds of devices, and I think my kids are pretty. Kids are just generally super smart these days, anyway. I mean, <laughs> that sounded funny. Like they used to be stupid, but now they're smart these days. Um, these days, but ki kids, kids <laughs> are really accustomed to that. And I think if their parents have iPhones, they're used to it. So, I mean, overall, I, I wonder what where's the market going from here? Is it really just that they're trying to make a series of iPads that are affordable and that um, schools can access at like a big discount because the Chromebook market, which honestly leads to the Android market, is something that I invested in and in helping at, at a local, or my wife's local school that she teaches at made a donation because buying, buying Chromebooks is super easy mm -hmm. and affordable and you can get a whole bunch and the computer labs, that's all they need because they do everything on Khan Academy and Alex with a K.com, whatever they do, all these math sites. I mean, like Chromebooks are the are the thing that you know all these computer labs are equipping themselves with, and so I think this makes a lot of sense for Apple. And did I answer your question? I did, but here's what I want to break down now because I don't know how much you followed it up okay. today, but I'm going to tell you what they announced and the price points and accessories, and then when I'm done, I yeah. want you to okay. now reanalyze everything that you just did. <laughs> Great. Okay. Sorry for that ramble. I probably should have just asked you. Sometimes I feel like you ask questions and the only correct answer is to me to ask you a question, but I missed it. Like it flew right over my head. Oh, you're perfect. You, you nailed it. You nailed it. Um, okay. Which is also a brand new Netflix show. I don't know if you've watched Nailed It at all. It's this. I haven't. I, oh, that sounds good. So Nailed It, It's it's. I think it's from a British show, but I'm not sure. But it's, it's like the British Bake Off, but with complete amateurs okay. that don't know how to cook. So they're given a, right. they're given a like make this cake and then like they don't know how to do it and they judge on who can make it the best but they're all terrible i highly recommend if you want something that sounds so that sounds like so much fun like they like and of course i, I would bet that every time they screwed up they're like nailed it nailed it right? and they're like nailed it yeah every single time it's, it's absolutely it's really funny because we watch so many serious shows like oh you got to get chopped in this and like this is the polar opposite anyways i digress okay so apple came out and you know they're all about the education so this is a new iPad that a consumer can buy as well, but if you buy it for education yep. purposes, you get a discount. So the consumer version, this is the cheapest iPad ever, but it's also very powerful. It has new chips, it has you know touch sensors. It's really powerful. I'm, I'm probably gonna buy one. So it's $330 right. for consumers, okay? Okay. For education, it is $300. Well, that's not that much of a discount, but all right. And. The thing is they made a really big deal about the inking, so taking the pen and writing on it, and they've optimized all their apps for the writing aspect of it. But it doesn't come with a pen, okay. so you have to buy that, and that's $100 or a cheap version from Logitech for $50. Additionally, Danny, this is just a normal iPad, so it's not a rugged iPad. If you want a rugged case, okay. you have to go buy that as well. And additionally, there's no keyboard, obviously, because it's an iPad. So you'd additionally have to buy. Okay, so the just keyboard. stop talking. It's amazing. Now I feel more vindicated about the rant I ran on. I went on, and and I, honestly, this is this is where Apple like is missing the boat. And you know, on Chess.com, again, putting Danny in a position where Danny don't reveal proprietary information and secret data. Like literally, Eric listened to one of the first podcasts, our CEO. And he had to remind me, like, dude, you can't talk so openly about cheat detection and things. Anyway, not that anything I would say is bad, but there are, sometimes I use words that if, like, the really, like, savvy listener who had serious motivation to know something might be able to figure it out. But, okay, everyone knows the global Android market is bigger than the iOS market in many ways simply because it's more affordable.
people, it's used in it's used more, mm -hmm. right? So even if you could argue like the opportunity to monetize an Apple user is higher based on the, the financial demographics that you're evaluating them at, like, okay, it's more expensive. The you know, we, we all know that, read between the lines. Like you're evaluating who will pay for things in, in a world that's business. And Apple, but the thing is like Apple, like has lost their way in some ways where like they, they've lost track of, of the, the, what is it like, like there are like you know there are like cultural issues that can affect your business. It's like in the construction industry, people aren't building homes during recessions, right? It's like there's a part of Apple that is they're always trying to have their cake and eat it too. So they're trying to do everything I just said about tapping into the educational market to influence future generations and to provide affordable opportunities that might actually compete with Chromebooks and computer labs that are going that direction as they should. But they just always do it in a way that just makes them be like, and now you're going to monetize these classrooms on every nickel and dime of the pin, and then the charger, and then this, and then that. And that part of it is where I, you know, it's hard to make predictions early because Apple is, you know, the biggest company in the world. But I just like, if somebody, if somebody, you know, I, I just don't understand why they can't relate to the consumer and actually give back in a way that, like, invest in the global gamble. Like, actually make it seriously affordable where you're not raking the consumer over the coals and see if the, the investment and the culture of future generations being more used to Apple products pays off in a real way. Like, that's what I was thinking. Not in a way that you're just trying to monetize a new market. Because when you, I can say, dealing with Chess Kid over chess.com, I mean, Schools are their own man animal. I mean, the bureaucracy that it takes in dealing with school districts and the you know the, the turnover in terms of you know district standards and all this all this stuff like they're their own business model, and you have to really know what you're doing. So all the all this is a business play that I hope backfires because I don't think they should monetize schools over all those. Yeah, little I things. was really disappointed. I was disappointed that they didn't offer something even bigger than that to say, hey, you know, maybe they do do crazy bulk purchases. I don't know, but I feel as though. With a Chromebook, yes, it's not as powerful. Maybe you don't get the inking, but kind of what I'm reading from what the, what you've seen and what I've seen is like the, that's good enough for kids because they're going to own it. They're going to be in on it. They're not like renting it or whatever. Yep. It's theirs to keep. Well, they use Google Drive. I mean, classrooms run through Google Drive. Like I have like Nash's login on my office computer here. Like if he's come here and had to do homework in between school and baseball and I'll go work on the laptop, like, like they use Google Drive and they use those sites I said that, you know, there's all kinds of learning tools online. And, you know, I just, I think that sometimes those decisions are made by people that are not in touch with like the cultural direction of like the market. And I think it will backfire. Yeah. And, and I, um, and I'm curious to see what happens there because I'm curious though, I'm curious. One question for you, since you are a father is I didn't know how to, I couldn't figure this out in my mind, but am I, I want to know if I'm out of touch with kids you know, in, in a fact that is it okay not to have a rugged thing? And is it okay not to have a keyboard? Do you think that if, if, if they were to monetize it so much where it's just an iPad, like, is that good enough? Like, and that's kind of why I'm not sure of, because to me, I'm a very tactile person. I like a mouse. I like a keyboard, but honestly, the, all those attachments, are they necessary? So like, that's my question. No, I'm not I sure. mean, no, they're not. They're not They're Well, Okay, first of all, there are exceptions, and uh, the I think depending on the class or or the requirement of the of the teacher, if we're talking the education, then you may need a pen or a keyboard or, or something like that. But if you're asking as a parent, like, what do my kids need? They just need like the iPhone. Like, I mean, they just need like a touchscreen, and they they manage well enough. And I don't think they really need all those bells and whistles. But I think that when you're in the education market, where you're getting you know, write a 5,000 word, you know, essay or whatever, right? You're actually getting some serious stuff or you're trying to play into tools and look at this really cool tool that this, you know, special education iPod works for, iPad works with, but it's that much more money. I think that unless the school is front is fronting the bill for that and schools are only losing ECA funding, you know, they're not getting more money from the government these days, you know, um, so I don't know, but I guess to answer your question, as a dad, no. I mean, like Talia grabs my phone. You've seen her, little two-year-old, and just like, you know, swipes left or right <laughs> or whatever, unlocks it, and freaking goes, yeah. you know? I mean, um, 
touchscreen is all they it seems need. like maybe at some point they outgrow that like once they you start writing those 5,000 word documents I couldn't imagine writing a 5,000 yeah. word document on an iPad it, I would I would I would that's what it. I'm saying it's like so if you're if you're talking like the educational mm-hmm. market of like okay do they really need those maybe Apple isn't like so bad monetizing extra I think the point is like in that market you would think that those tools become really effective and and um, the pen thing is interesting because generally schools are moving away from handwriting as a required, honestly, skill set, which is kind of weird and sad. Because like, what if what if all technology dies and you need to like write a love letter to somebody? I mean, people should know how to use a pen. It was funny at the at the iPad event, everything that they showed was all beautiful calligraphy and beautiful cursive. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> and I was like, I don't think they even teach that anymore. So, kind of funny. Yeah, it yeah. is weird. I mean. Who knows? Sorry to sound so cynical, but, you know, it's frustrating when you see, like, because I think there's really great products offered and things that are useful and benefit, and then there's things that are clearly being done in an incremental fashion to monetize something that, I don't know, it seems... It seems a little a little Apple-ish for me. Well, what I think and what I am seeing out of this and kind of talking to you is that this part of technology is extremely important, and at least Apple reducing the price of the entry level will entice other manufacturers to make more competitive devices. So now the Chromebooks may all include touchscreens and have this other stuff and a reduced cost. And maybe that drives Apple even further down to say, hey, listen, not only are we at 300, but we have a $300 kit that has everything inside of it that a student needs. And maybe that's right. like the kick in the rear end that they need to get it in. Right. Um, because what I want to see is this technology go absolutely everywhere because I think it's extremely beneficial. And my concern is, well, you're in an overcrowded classroom with 50 kids in a small classroom. You can't afford 50 tablets for every single one of them. And you also don't want to deal that out to the parents' costs if you're in different areas. No, they they can't afford it. They can't afford it. No, I mean, and the Chromebooks are are still cheaper than 300. I mean, the the Chromebooks we got were like 200 bucks a piece and they were good. We did our research. It was an HP Chromebook, kind of like the standard... um, I don't know. I mean, uh, we actually just recently, or chess.com, I just recently pulled the trigger on another dozen Chromebooks for the uh, the Pro Chess League Finals. Look at that pivot I just did Ba-ba-da-bum. naturally, moving out of the education. But on bump pivot into the Pro Chess League Finals from the educational debate because we're going to have a booth area, a chess.com free play area in San Francisco where people can can log into their account, they can play with their friend, there'll be anonymous accounts, there'll be a helper on hand, and so we're going to, we just, we got some Chromebooks. We decided rather than renting computers, better just get some Chromebooks and just have them there, you know. So, pretty excited about the Pro League Finals. Just got out of a, a meeting with our, with our production company. We did an ROS, which I've learned in the tech lingo is a run of show. Oh. And I'm like, look, yo, normally what I do, here, stay with me, I just turn on the camera... I let whatever accent comes to me take over, and I roll with it, right? If it's Uncle Sasha, and we hear very nice Russian that day, or, if, you know, whatever. If we've got Tim, right, and we're just talking about little tea and everything. Right, whatever I do, it just happens. And I'm like, is that good enough for you guys? And they're like, no. When you're talking, this will be showing. And then when you say this, we will transition to this. And uh, it was actually really cool, uh, especially because... The guy who's like the head of their company, I think he's like the CEO or whatever, like he has this voice, like this like really sexy voice. And I told him, I was like, dude, you should do radio. That is a sexy voice. So anyway, that's what I just, I literally just came from that meeting to this podcast recording. I, 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 I like that though, because when I was doing live streaming last week, if you remember, I was in San Francisco, I was getting ready to do live streams all week and I recorded, I think 14 live and it was kind of I don't want to throw anyone on the bus, but it was kind of a hot mess. It was kind of a hot mess. Right. And uh, I never... <laughs> Shia LaBeouf. Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> and GDC was really cool, but I, it was very kind of chaotic. And I never really knew who exactly I was talking to. Sometimes I'd have questions. Sometimes I'd have a laptop. Sometimes I didn't even know they could have a laptop. Yeah. So I would just bust out my laptop. I'm like, I need to show this video. Right. And that was... I like what you did. Like We opened up this podcast and you said... James, hit the hit the record button. Just hit the button. Just hit the button. I said, okay, let's do this. And we are yeah. into it. Whereas 
if I'm doing other podcasts or I'm doing my own live stream, I'm good. I can handle myself. But when I'm in that situation, right. I want I don't want complete micromanagement, but I want some structure to say, okay, everyone kind of knows and, and there's people in charge. Right. If I was in charge of it, I'm gonna tell you what to bring, when to be there, et cetera, et cetera, and kind of line it up. But I think as long as you hopefully get some creative freedom, that would be pretty rad. I mean, ideally. If- yeah, no, we obviously, I mean, the majority of the show is, is just chess analysis mm-hmm. and, and what we talk about will be based on what happens in the games between these final four teams and i'm i'm super excited because it's you know it's a team event different than any other chess event so there's all kinds of aspects that go into our run of show and things we want to talk about and the human interest stories because you don't it's not everyone is is carl magnuson right you've got a lot of people that you know have different types of perseverance throughout their chess careers and you know we're trying to highlight just some interesting stuff and these are teams with their entire cities or sometimes countries behind them and so we were kind of talking about a lot of things that aren't just the x's and o's of here's the show flow when when we show the the commentators the shoutcasters when we show the players when we show this and but then also you know talking about the different directions the show might go and and what what storylines we might want to build and so it was it was a blasty mick blasterson I want to say. Um, I will say one. It was one uh, thing about the shout casting. We also had a shout okay. caster last week, and you know what they do? Yeah. They shout. They just shout the entire time. I have no. I, I don't under. Oh yeah. I, my mind is boggled. I was like, how does okay. this person make a living? I don't. I am it. not a shout caster. I am a chess commentator. But in this, what they refer to these people are as casters, right? They like. And they think of these people as just kind of, I don't want to say these people, like, okay, now I'm now I'm going in. Now, notice how these days you have to be afraid of everything you say, these people. <laughs> I'm not trying to stereotype anybody. I'm just saying that the people that do commentary for video games traditionally are all about that big moment where they're shouting and yelling. And I think that, you know, this will have balance where we do get excited at times when you see a blunder of a queen. Yeah. but. Um, you know, it's a very educational show because you're ultimately always trying to teach people how to get better at chess and they want to get better. That's why they're watching too, I think, in a lot of ways. So, um, but that's, that's what we're doing with Twitch right now. Everything's about the pro chess league finals. We'll have one more podcast next week before, um, before the big, the big event, April 7th and 8th in San Fran. Oh, that's right. That's what I wanted to start the show with is today watching the candidates, the final round where our Fabiana Caruana has, has won the event and will be challenging Carl Magnuson. Somebody in Twitch mentioned no. our podcast to me in the Twitch chat. There were like 8,000 people watching the show at that live moment, and there were a lot of chatters, but somebody said that they loved the podcast, and uh, that was just, I had to share that. That's Aww. what I wanted to start the show with, but then you, you know... You pulled the dingus challenge on me, and my dingus wasn't as big as your dingus. And, you know, I had to have an aroma center, you know, an aroma scent mister. So, anyway, but someone on Twitch mentioned our podcast, and I want oh, to Oh, well, thanks, that. whoever whoever did that. I like that. That's That, that makes me feel good that people actually listen and are tuning in. We know people listen because there's, there's, there's some statistics that show us that people are totally listening, which is, which is good, <laughs> uh, which I totally appreciate. Uh, yeah, no, it's really funny. It's actually, I was... I was I was playing back on the on the bus ride home from from Microsoft. I was playing back all of the um, games from today on the the Champions Candidates tournament, and I was you know we had talked about it last week where Carwana kind of making the push and we, yeah. we predict that it was stay there, and then I rolled down just scrolled down to the games of of Aronian and my boy, my boy so. Where his yeah, game, the guy his game abruptly ended in seventeen moves. <laughs> not, not good. <laughs> um. Yeah, around the bone. He well, he got owned to to go rhyme time on you. This was not his best. Around the Aronian was not his at his best. Although form is temporary, class is permanent. I love Levon. I'm sure he'll be back near the top. He hasn't played well in a candidates yet in his career. Will time run out? Um, who knows? But Wes- Wesley still has plenty of time. So regardless of how slow Wesley So was this event, he, uh, he, he will be back. Don't you yeah, worry. How, did you, how do you feel now that it's over, now that Carwana is taking the candidate? Well, I'm okay. super excited. I mean, Carwana is an American. He was an, an, not even an American living in the States. Not that that matters, but he was, he was born in the U.S., in Miami, mm-hmm. Florida. Um, 
and uh, he, he spent some time in Italy and became a dual citizen between the U.S. and Italy as living in Europe was, uh, the decision was made that that would better profess his chess career. Um, you have, and then we have Hikaru, and Hikaru is true and through and true a, you know, a symbol of American chess pride. I mean, he's, he's been, he was really, because while Caruana was in Italy, Hikaru was the first player in America really the strongest American grandmaster since Bobby Fischer. And for years, you know, Hikaru was at the top of the U.S. chess scene, even not even playing in U.S. championships because he was just so much better than everybody. But, you know, since Fabiano Caruana came back to the U.S., uh, and, and he is from the U.S., so, so it was a natural trans, transition to come back as St. Louis took off and became this global capital chess city. Uh, and then Wesley So has... Uh, you know, he immigrated and then uh, changed his citizenship to, to the U.S. So now with Wesley So and Fabio Caruana and Hikaru Nakamura at the top, it's, it's, a, it's a very strong country. That's why we won the, the Olympic gold. But Caruana is, I mean, he's, uh, he's an American hero now. Honestly, he has a chance to challenge for the world championship title, which is the first person to do so since Bobby Fischer in the 70s. First, sorry, first American to do so since Bobby Fischer. So Hikaru has kind of been the man, but he never quite got to that level of challenging for the world championship title. So so today was a big day, and I think it'll be a huge year for chess as Fabiano takes kind of the center stage in a match against, uh, against your boy Carl. Good old Magnus Carlsen. You know, I think what's interesting about that is, is I didn't really realize that it's been that long, really, since an American went up for this actual, you know, the world the world. Cup. I'm going to call it the World Cup. Yeah. No, it's it's been a long time. That's crazy to think about. And honestly, being not only just a hometown hero, but from the hometown, like Clint Dempsey, who's in the Sounders, you know, for the Seattle Sounders football, that's soccer for any Americans here. And right. uh, he's I mean, from well, aren't they the, Aren't they the, uh, the, the, the Seattle Shocker? Shock, I remember what I, what did I say last week? <laughs> the Sounders. Well, they're the, the Sounders. The, knicker, knickerbockers. the Knickerbockers. That is correct. Yeah. Yep. They're the um, the vested Knickerbockers. And yeah, that's yep. what they do. And so I kind of can, can resonate to that as well because it, it has that special warm, fuzzy feeling, I think, when when not only yeah. someone from your country, but like maybe even from your hometown, like wherever Carwana is from in the U.S. is like Miami. Miami. Yeah. Miami. Uh, and, you know. Miami. Shut up. Shut up. Off. Uh, and I think that's really yeah. cool. I'm pretty excited about it in, in general. And uh, I'm a little bit sad that Wesley So, um, you know, didn't place last. So, so that's good. Yeah. Well, Kromnik didn't didn't quite compete at the level I picked him to either. But, uh, you know, and I'm not just saying this because it's over. In hindsight, Caruana came really close to winning when Karyakin qualified in 2016, winning the event. And, and Fabiano has... Um, has been one of the best players in the world, you know, since before then and after that. But, you know, it's not a surprise. And I think he could beat Magnus in a match. And the truth is, other than Kromnik, like I said, I don't know that anybody else from this candidate would have had the ability to beat Magnus in a match. So as far as creating drama and the, the real possibility that we have a new world champion come, you know, November, end of November, December 2018, I think it's real. And I think uh, I think Caruana is a, a serious threat to Magnus Carlson at the top. I really well, do. you know my boy Carl. He's not going to back down. You yep. know he he's, no, he's going to keep being Carl. He's going to keep having documentaries yep. made on him. You know, and just you know the life of Carl. And uh, if that that is the next if that is the next documentary for Magnus, that'd be amazing. The life, the of, life Carl. of Carl. <laughs> <laughs> so I saw that our boy Carl Magnuson on Twitter was back. I saw right, that. you. You liked his tweet along with I did. He was he said after a long sabbatical he's back and uh, I don't know who it is whoever whoever's listening to this podcast right now who is Carl Magnuson we salute you yes, sir absolutely so this buds for you <laughs> oh my goodness yeah there's really not much new else in the world of of Mots over here I've been honestly just completely exhausted ever since I got back from San Francisco it was a crazy event uh, and yep. and uh, it's been kind of kind of bonkers over here to be honest with you I. What is it? What is the event again? Because some guys that we were that we're working with were there. The uh... yeah, it was the Game Developers Conference. So GDC. This had about thirty to forty thousand people at it. The conference is crazy. Yeah, that's a that's a, a big, big conference. conference. It was at the Moscone in San Francisco, and it was in the Moscone West, North, and South. So all of them. 
It was okay. bananas. And, um, you know, wow. not only did like, you know, Microsoft, Google, Amazon have their booths, but also Sony, Facebook, you know, you know, all of the, all the big players out there, all the small players, just people everywhere. And, um, it was, it was pretty crazy. And someone goes, Oh, you're like a, you know, you're like a celebrity. Then you're like doing this live stream stuff. I'm like, no one knows who I am. I was like, because it's very opposite of who I yeah. normally am talking to on a day-to-day basis. I was like, Oh, no one knows who I am. I'm just, right. I'm just, I made this game a long time ago that nobody bought. No big deal. You know, that was, that was me. Uh, but you know, I have a little claim to fame. I like to think that, uh, were, were you in one of those like huge, like platform, like foyer areas where like people have those huge booths set up with massive, like, statues and were you kind of doing a live MC yeah. thing or were you just doing your own like web no, no, show? No, no, we had a whole booth set up there. It was ginormous. So it was probably five of my apartments uh, in there. And what was really cool about it is that there was three areas. There was a mixer area. So mixers like a Twitch competitor that we have where there was a shout caster and they were playing on an overwatch or something like that. And then we had a live theater session where it was right. like this big Azure tent or whatever, where people could sit down and people were doing stuff. And we had all these little pods where people could inter talk with our developers. And then we had this big live stream area where everyone could gather around the ropes and they could watch and they could listen as the live stream was happening. And you could live, um, you could live stream it on uh, Channel Nine, which is our our Microsoft like developer portal, and on Mixer as well. So obviously, we're not going to Twitch stream because we have our own product at Microsoft. So uh, it was on Mixer. And you could live stream. So it was live and I was live for three days, uh, 30 minute sessions, which was really interesting because I'm not really used to live streaming such back to back content like that. And, you know, you can't mess up, you know, there's no edits for it. And I'm sure that you're used to it. So it really took me out of my element a little bit of being a, you know, we talk a lot about us being as presenters and us doing content, but at the same time. I felt at the right. beginning a little bit on my element because I was meeting so many new people. It wasn't like, hey, me and Danny are sitting down for five hours, but every subject was different. Right. Imagine if someone came in and they're like, Danny, we want you to commentate all of this. We're going to start with chess, but then we're going to move on to um, you know, ping pong, and then we're going to move on to checkers, right. and we want, we want you to be an for, in Fortnite, Fortnite. And we want you to be an expert in all of these technologies and ask questions. And you're like, uh, and then interview people that are also like, yeah. oh, and then Magnus is going to stop by. We also want you to interview him. And you're like, uh, right. no, it's big, no deal. big deal. And just do it. No, dude, that sounds crazy. That sounds crazy. Yeah. Cause I mean, it sounds, it sounds fun too. Cause you're always on your toes, I guess. And, uh, there's, it, it's funny cause it crosses the line into the general, commentators slash public speaking skills and makes you realize maybe some areas that would be good to to work on and some things to do with that that have nothing to do with your expertise in you know in Xamarin or you know where, where you are as a developer right because I I realized that when we did when we did that the uh, the Milken conference where I realized I was being asked to do things that aren't just about like chess X's and O's right and I suddenly realized, okay, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a good public speaker and it's what I do. And I, and I come up with things very often on the fly and, and sort of roll with the punches. But being able to do that and talk about something that you're not an expert in is, is really hard. So uh, that's, that's interesting. I mean, the question is, would you rather have that or would you rather have had 10 shows a day that were the same half an hour over and over again where you're presenting the same product, right? You're an expert in the product and you're doing something that is useful, I guess, for if you're trying to like monetize the means end, but maybe it's repetitive. So, but that, sound, that sounds crazy, fun, interesting. I mean, I like it. Yeah, what I liked about it was kind of what you just said is I've been in that situation where I'd present all day for eight hours straight on my topic of choice because right. like workshops. On the same no, I don't like that. The same I don't like that. I don't like that. I like yeah. to do an hour, two hours, and I have my sessions. But what I liked about this is that I didn't really have to necessarily prep per se. Like I read up on the content, but I just kind of sat down and had a conversation, which, you know, if people have right. listened to 49 Blunders episodes coming real close to 50, right. they'll know that we love to talk. We love to do it. Um, so, right. Yeah. We're just having, hey, 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 we're just having conversations. So back to back to conversations that are. Um, obviously much more relevant than anything that has to do with our work lives or things we're trying to do in the universe. But I've been watching this show, AP Bio. You ever watched AP, AP Bio? No, what is this? So there's, I. it's not Netflix, but it's just a, uh, there was a really, fun, I'm laughing now still just thinking about it. So it's from, it's got writers and the actor from Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Um, it, but it's it's on 
Fox or I don't know, CBS, but let's just say something, some sort of primetime show, right? So it's not going to be super over the top in any direction as far as profanity or nudity or whatever. And, and Sean and I often kind of browse the, you know, we got the Hopper, we got Dish Network, we got the, they're always recording whatever's on primetime all the time. So we can browse different shows. So we watched an episode of this show, AP Bio, and then we sort of binge-watched the remaining six. It was pretty fun. It's just like this funny show where this guy is teaching AP Bio, but he doesn't teach AP Bio. He's only there because basically the principal of the school is his buddy, and he got kicked out of Harvard, and his whole life is about seeking revenge on his nemesis. And... Um, and I'm enjoying it. So I just wanted to say that. Just wanted to share. So I want to let you know, I just added it. Just added it to my watch list. Boom. On on Hulu. There were a couple a couple of clunkers episodes that weren't super funny. But overall, in the scheme of things, as I'm starting to like the show now in like the sixth, seventh episode, like they're funny because of the character development. Um and uh, I'm hoping I'm hoping that it makes it. I'm hoping that it's not a show that, that goes away because Sean and I have appreciated some shows before that, for whatever reason, didn't make that old cut, right? So um, anyway, I'm enjoying that. And since you mentioned Nailed It on Netflix, that was when I made a quick note of mentioning AP Bio. I just wanted to say that because it's a good one. Well, it's good. I enjoy like watching new shows. Like we started Nailed It, which is kind of like just ridiculous, but it's not something that you're invested in. And We've been going through the back catalog of Project Runway and watching a bunch of the All Stars right. episodes, but we need something new, something fresh. And in fact, I'll tell you this much: I wanted to get to a little bit of listener feedback because it's been a while, Danny. It's been a hot minute. Okay, yeah, we we got to do that. Listener feedback time. Here we go. And this one's great because it's no questions. It's just basically our, our boy Tim just tooting our horn about how Tim. much he loves the show. So Tim in Philly, that is the Twitter account, so you can say Tim. Tim, Tim in, in Philly. Philly. I wonder if he lives in Philadelphia. I'm not sure. Because in his post line, it says Tim, Philadelphia, PA. It would have been really funny if it said okay. Tim, Orlando, Florida. Uh, <laughs> so Tim writes in and he says, what's up? What's up, guys? What's up, Danny and Mots? I just wanted to say thank you for the podcast. Stumbled upon it back um, um, after getting back into chess.com. Tim in Philly also his chess handle recently has binged over 29 episodes. I hope that that binging is in one day. So 29 episodes right. of us. That That's a good use of your day. It is. That's the best yeah. use of your day. Uh, he's yep. also thanks to the podcast going to take a plunge on a diamond membership. Ding that bell. Ding, 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 ding. Giving Danny ding, money. Ding, 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 ding. Uh, he really loves the <laughs> chess and tech uh, conversation, which is why we started this and hopefully also enjoys some of our life updates as well. He said, I'll sure to be have more questions and we'll send them in. Take care, Tim, Philadelphia, PA. Tim from Philly, we love you, baby. And congratulations to the Eagles. I think everyone born, kind of like spiders born knowing how to spin webs, everybody born in Philly is an Eagles fan. There's no, I don't follow football. I'm not an Eagles fan in Philly, right? It's like, I don't eat cheesesteak. It just doesn't happen, yeah. right? It's like... <laughs> If you are that kid, you quickly relocate the moment you can, right? You no longer live in Philly. So, Tim from Philly, we salute you. Do we got more listener feedback? We haven't done this in a while. Um, what else do we have? Uh, well, Hutch, I think Hutch, I don't know if we wrote, read this one before, Hutch wrote in. Uh, he says that um, he has been a fan of Danny for a long time, uh, mostly for your entertainment, Motormouths. Um, okay. uh, on the internet, so he really enjoys watching you. But he's also very pleased that Danny brought him to me, which I appreciate. That's right, because now you're a Mots fan. Who is Hutch on Twitter? Uh, no, no, no information. So oh, that's great. Just a real, just a Hutch write in, old school. Uh, it says Hutch to my, his friends. This says his name is. I'm not going to say his full name, but Hutch is in his name. It says Hutch to my friends, and that's confusing for anyone who knows Hutch. The YouTuber. So not Hutch the YouTuber, who I don't even know because I don't watch YouTube that often. Yeah, I know Hutch the YouTuber because I've done chess shows with Hutch the YouTuber. <laughs> uh, he, I, I'm not kidding. Have you really? Yeah, oh. I'm not kidding. You want me to, I'll link the video oh. in the, uh, yeah. Interesting. I'll just right, get we'll a put that Danny in there. and Hutch. We've done several Danny and Hutch chess. I, I think. It, there you go. So he, he wrote in this really long, this wrong thing. In two years, he's gone from training from zero to uh, 1600 and he's really excited to kind of give it a go and get back into it and reading, you know, reading a lot and looking at the 
premium memberships and the monetization. It was kind of interested in what all goes into the monetization and kind of in a, a bigger aspect of it, kind of from your point of view, not just necessarily for chess.com, but I'm kind of interested in the huge monetization and and actually greater kind of promotion around chess itself, kind of because when you think of chess, it's one of the easiest games besides maybe soccer or checkers for someone to get into. The rules are a little bit more complicated, right. but now there seems to be this big ecosystem of even learning chess. And you kind of wanted your insights on that. Not necessarily, he wanted to really know about chess.com. I mean, you're a business that needs to make money. That makes sense to me. Uh, but also kind of as it grows, like how you think, you know, they can, you can still make it more accessible to the greater audience um, while, you know, still making money. That's a great, it's a great question that we talk about a lot because we're, you know, I, I may have said this before, but we're, we, we do consider those sort of bigger picture kind of cultural shifts and, and, and things we want to do to, to help chess get in the limelight of not just general media, but um, put it this way, like we're, we're in a unique position where we've, we've, we've kind of proven the market and there are a lot of other competitors now. Our biggest competitors didn't exist when we existed, you know. Um, and uh, because of Chess.com's position in the online gaming industry, and and chess is a legacy game in the sense that it's it's a forever game, right? It's not going anywhere. It's one of the big reasons why Amazon and Twitch were so um, enthusiastic and and are now. I don't mean to paint it like they were fawning over <laughs> us, whatever. But we obviously we have a big partnership with with um, with that with that company and they are invested in helping us grow the chess, the global chess ecosystem as chess as an esport, We have the PCL finals coming up, tune in April 7th and 8th, hashtag shameless plug. Uh, but we also have, you know, the, the overall broader agreement that I can't get into all the details, but obviously we're exchanging resources, so to speak, to help grow chess together. That's a politically correct way to say it. Right. And so, um, the, whatever those resources are, are for you to use your imagination for. And, and we're, you know, we're fortunate that as long as chess is growing, like as an entity, as a, as a, as a, as a game that people think of, chess.com is always benefiting because we're the autocomplete. You know, we are the biggest ship on the sea and we've proven the market that has given birth to many of our competitors, you know, our biggest ones and some smaller ones. And I think that, um, it's, it's both a, a huge challenge because it means that if we're opening the widest window but not delivering a good enough product to keep everybody who comes our way as far as chess learning and, and what's the best way to learn chess and what are the coolest tools and, and how do we deliver that to the user, then, then we're basically growing the market to ultimately be overtaken by somebody who could do it better. Or it, maybe that never happens with our domain name necessarily, but it does mean that we could not necessarily be positioning ourselves for the biggest piece of the pie if you're talking business-wise, yeah. right? So it, it's a constant balance between repair the 747, but also like, hey, like fly it into new areas that nobody, uh, no other planes as big as you are capable of flying to. So it's kind of a responsibility to grow the global chess you know, vision and make sure that our core offering is is hitting the marks and frankly i think we failed in a lot of ways and i could list a lot of them that we could do better and that and it's because the struggle there is real i mean hashtag the struggle is real in terms of how are we growing the industry and doing all, all kinds of cool stuff and doing things that we think should be done better and different than what classical chess has done which has been great but honestly so many of the biggest chess events as anybody who's a chess fan knows has survived based on angel angel phil uh you know philanthropic, you know, philanthropy, basically, you know, you have Rex Singfield, you have guys come along that make it happen. But without that, what's being done to prove that the sport is commercializable? You know, what we're trying to do is something that hopefully can provide legitimacy at the top end of professionals while providing an awesome path for people that want to learn the game on the bottom end. And honestly, it it's exhausting, but I'm really fortunate and happy that we're that I get to be involved in kind of like these bigger picture things. So if that answers the question, I'll say this. Like, look, we're in a unique position where authentically it's not BS. Other people who say it probably are full of it and that they're in it for the best of the game. It's not necessarily true because like we are uniquely positioned to be in it for that. Because look, every time great global chess events happen, we're like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. But also like, hey, like how do we create an opportunity for people to want to learn chess? And 
we have a lot of analytics that tell us, hey, when users complete X and Y activities, their interest in getting better goes mm -hmm. way up. So how quickly do you get them to those activities and all that stuff? And it's, you know, and I think offering everything just because chess should be, you know, I think learning tools and content by the best players in the world should be something that people are willing to pay for, just like a lot of other industries, because it's it's something that's a service that's being provided. And I think that, you know, when really great content by the best players in the world or amazing events or tools designed by the best players in the world are people that people who want to become the best players in the world are willing to pay for, then you have a thriving industry. You have, you know, financial opportunities for those who become great and master their craft, say the NFL players, there's financial opportunities at the top, but there's also a very clear path to pro, right? If there's a kid learning football right now, Mutz, even if it's a total pie in the sky, there's a path that they follow. They, they follow chess, sorry, they follow football through junior high and high school and they go to college and then they get drafted or whatever, right? Like we want to create an industry that's thriving. And that, that, that happens when you have financial opportunities for the best in the world at the top and you, cre you create clear learning opportunities at the bottom. And I think there are others that would argue, you know, just to not even beat around the bush. I mean, like our biggest competitor is Lee Chess, which offers free services, which is great. And Lee Chess is awesome. And I honestly freaking love their site. But I don't believe that it's the right thing for the industry that the best chess, the best tools and access to what the best players will offer should always be totally free. I think there's there's reasons why we should monetize that. And people, the, the people who are motivated to learn have proven that they're willing to pay for it. And then the best players in the world are more motivated to give back to the industry and so on and so forth. And what you have is a what you have is an ecosystem. You have an NFL, you have a, an NBA or whatever. So anyway, that's my perspective on it. And that's what we try to do. And, and uh, maybe I went above and beyond on that question, but that's like a bigger picture vision for how chess.com sees the industry and our responsibility in it. I think what you kind of are hinting on also, or at least to me, is you know, chess.com is an industry that is paying a bunch of people on staff. And also at the same time, what is really interesting is that as these sites grow and as the industry grows that also means that there's a bulk of additional free content and content it's not like you have to pay to just go play chess on chess.com right there are additional perks exactly. and benefits there's all kinds of opportunities for mm -hmm. people that are dabbling enough and maybe don't know if they want to pay yet for their educational mm -hmm. opportunity there's all kinds of stuff the industry is growing that's for sure and what's great is that as what i've seen over the last almost year now that we've done this podcast is there's been more opportunities to get chess in front of more people. So whether it's Twitch streaming or it's other live events that you're doing, kind of what I see as someone that does a lot of broadcasting is, is that these are opportunities that may not have existed a year ago, two years ago, or five years ago, but you're forging this path to bring it more to the masses. So now more people are now interested in the actual sport or game, then that grows the industry and and the business as a whole, but also, like I said, gets it in front of more people, which I think is really uh, exciting. And that's why you know, I do a lot of you know free blogging on the side, and I do a lot of videos, and I do all this other content because I want to get it in front of more people's eyes and you can actually take it to that next pedestal. So there's all these different aspects of it that not everyone sees behind the scenes of it, which is really interesting. Right. Uh, at the same yeah. time, um, and I I know because I worked at a startup that did the whole thing, and now we're you know part of a big company. And even there, there's all these different aspects of just getting in front of more people's uh, face, and then also that we call it a funnel, which is kind of what you're hinting mm -hmm. at. There's this thing called a funnel of onboarding, of of when people do X Y Z, they're more likely to, to do this next step and be a lifelong chess player or whatever. And you want to you yeah. want that, and you know we talk about that even in the school, right? And you think of Apple. If you can get an iPad in a two uh, a second graders, you know, you know, hands you and get them into iCloud. Well, guess what? Like over time, they become a diehard Apple person and, and they get to coding and like they want to get coding and you get them on the platform and they're coding and they're using your stuff. And it kind of gets this other culture of um, of of growing that entire industry, because now that now that now that second year old that found their first iPad and started, you know, messing around with Swift you know, on, on Swift playgrounds, then built an app. And then, you know, now they're a developer bringing back to the ecosystem and it goes full circle. And maybe it's not the next, you know, next, next iPad or the next thing, but it kind of goes around in the circle. And this is a really yep. long, long answer to say, um, yeah, things are growing and there's more opportunities for people to see stuff. And that's super freaking cool. I couldn't imagine as a kid now going at any time at any moment and playing chess. I was on the bus ride home. I'm just playing a chess game. No big deal. And like that blows my mind. You know what I mean? It just, yep. it's crazy to think about. So no, it's when a lot of people yeah. are, you know, 
honestly, last night I was uh, playing a game in between Shauna laying down Talia for bed and like hopefully hopefully getting that done before, <laughs> you know, because I don't want to be playing chess, you know, while we're in bed because, you know, she doesn't like that all the time. She's not always into that. So um, you get it. Hashtag you get it, but I get it. I, get it. I, <laughs> I don't get know it. why that was a that was a good awkward way to bring this thing to a close. I think, yes. but uh, you know, I I actually really appreciate that question. Bigger picture stuff is you know, and also everyone's just doing their best too, just as like a person in their industry, no matter what, because whatever the weird circumstances are of our lives got you into what you do, right? You're you were a developer, and and then you've also got all these other skills as far as your public speaking, and and I was a just, I wanted to be an actor when I was a kid. Then I accidentally got good at this freaking board game, right? <laughs> and oh my gosh, my life has taken over and I'm one of the best chess players in the country or world, depending on your perspective, right? And then, and then you know, it's, so it's just because of the unique things that happen to us, you always end up with your own perspective in your own industry. And I think it makes everybody have the experiences they do, which, you know, makes us want to do the best we can within our environment. And so I think, uh, you know, I'm, I'm like super happy to be involved with chess.com and have basically what I get to evaluate as I want to do a better job with the funnel all the time. And I give a lot of input on that, but we have a COO and a CEO and a CTO. And honestly, like I get to do a lot of the fun parts of the funnel where I'm like, Hey, give our users more, make things better, fix the bugs, <laughs> do it better, make it better. We need to give them this feature, whatever. Right. And then I get to work on bigger picture events and growth projects, almost I'm pure B and D, you know, business and development. I just realized talking about it now makes me realize how lucky I am even more, right? I don't have to be involved in a lot of the X's and O's in the weeds of making sure like every little thing works and I, I have to hear about it. So that's the flip side of the other coin because I'm on the on the face side of things, right? I have to hear about it. everybody thinks I write all the code which makes bugs, right? But um, you know, anyway, it's just interesting. So that's I don't know, kind of a I'm really excited about what we're doing, and now I'm talking awkwardly, and Mots is going to cut me off, and I love you all. Exactly. Well, Danny, I love you, and I love all of our <laughs> listeners, of course, who, of course, you know, go to blunders.fm and leave great comments and write into the show so we can talk about it, because I think it's always super fun to hear from our listeners, whether you're in a Twitch stream or you're on chess.com. And you just want to shout out the podcast. Honestly, just do that all the time. Just kind of hop into any chat and just say, we love the podcast. Yeah. Blunders for life. They're like, hey, this is this is a chat room about, you know, politics. And the chess. We love chess. I bet there's an episode you could link on. Yeah, that. there's probably one. We probably said some unnecessary things. But all right. Anyways. <laughs> all right, buddy. Until next week, I think we're going to wrap it up. I miss you. I love you. All of our amazing listeners go to blunders.fm. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, review. You know the things. Do all the things and do the things. And um, Danny, I miss you. Hey, I love you. Um, we're going to do our thing. And I love I it. I love it. I love you. All right. Talk to you later, buddy. Bye.